You're listening to a Sunday morning message by Authentic Church. Right, good morning everyone. This morning we are back in our series about Joshua, journeying with Joshua. Um, We've had a few weeks break for various reasons, but we are back with Joshua this morning. And the title of my message this morning is Be On Your Guard. So let's see what this is all about. Okay. Let me just give you a little bit of context so you know where we're at. So we have seen that the Israelites have crossed the the Jordan River and they are moving west through the promised land. In chapter 6, Nigel um, helped us um, through the story of the, the, the Battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down, that song. The Israelites followed God's instructions and they marched around Jericho for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, the city walls came down and everything and everyone in the city was destroyed. In chapter eight, which we haven't looked at together, the Israelites followed God's instructions and they set an ambush behind the city of A. And guess what? The city was destroyed and all the people, everything in it. Verse 28 tells us that they burned it and made it a permanent heap of ruins. So the Israelites are listening to God. They are moving west across the promised land. And guess what? The kings to the west are getting really nervous because they're thinking that they're going to be next. The Israelites are going to sweep through and destroy everything for them as well. So they decide to form an alliance to come together to defeat Joshua and the people of Israel. However, the Gibeonites, who were part of the Hivite people, decided that they didn't want to be part of this alliance because they felt that that probably meant certain death. So they decided instead to resort to deception. So this is what they did. They went directly to Joshua and they claimed to be from a distant country and therefore no threat to Joshua and the Israelites, and they asked if they could make a peace treaty. Now, the important thing to note here is that back in Exodus, God had told the Israelites not to make any covenants with any of the people who already lived in the promised land. Exodus 23, 31 and 32 says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. So that's the context of where we're at today. So I'm going to be reading, if you want to look it up in your Bible and read with me, we've got um, Joshua chapter 9 today. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read from verses 3 to 16. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done to Jericho, what Joshua had done to Jericho and A, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and mouldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, 
But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, who are you and where do you come from? They answered, your servants had come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey, go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and mouldy it is. These wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbours living near them. So I'm going to talk today about three lessons that we can learn from this passage. And the first lesson is about deception. Joshua, the great man of God, allowed himself to be deceived by the Gibeonites. Clearly, the delegation that came, their story was very convincing, their evidence was compelling, their performance was worthy of an Oscar. The Israelites were suspicious, but it appears that Joshua didn't need much persuading as to who they were and where they'd come from. He didn't ask many questions before agreeing to their request for a treaty. And in fact, the question he did ask about where they came from, the Gibeonites actually kind of didn't answer it directly. And three days after all of this, Joshua found to his cost that he'd been deceived and there was nothing he could do about it because he had sworn an oath to them. So the devil is just like those Gibeonites. He is deceptive and cunning and convincing. John 8, 44 tells us that he, Satan, is a liar and the father of lies. And 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour The devil wants us to be deceived, just like Joshua was deceived. He wants us to stray from God. He will use our weaknesses against us. He uses half-truths to trick us. He has many different tactics to deceive us. So I'm going to look just at two today. Doubt and fear. Doubt is a strategy that Satan has been using since the Garden of Eden, so pretty much since the beginning of time. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this, Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan caused Eve to doubt God by implying that God had misled her. Did God really say? 
And this is exactly what the devil wants to do with us. He will get us to doubt. He will get us to doubt God's promises, God's faithfulness, sometimes even God's existence. Eve doubted God and she allowed her doubt to influence her actions. And that's where the real danger lies. Having the occasional doubt is not too much of a problem and it can actually help to bring us back to a place of faith as we grapple with our doubt and we wrestle with God about our doubts. But if we allow our doubts to change the way we feel and behave, then we can run into all sorts of challenges. Another tactic the devil uses to deceive us is fear. Fear is the anticipation of danger or harm, real or imagined. It can be crippling. It diminishes our courage. It affects our ability to do the things we need to do. It steals our peace. I have had my peace stolen by fear so many times. It influences rational thoughts and actions in a negative way. I do not like spiders. It's completely irrational. They are tiny little creatures. They're not going to harm me. But suddenly my fear, my phobia, makes me behave in irrational ways. And fear is in direct opposition to faith. Fear is not from God. In the Bible, the words do not be afraid or do not fear or fear not Well over a hundred times, God tells us, do not be afraid. Fear is not from him. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is what fear does to me, and I expect it does the same to you. It makes me go through the what-ifs. It makes me run scenarios and I always end up imagining the worst case scenario that could possibly happen. If we're fearful, we're weak because we can't think of anything other than the thing that we are fearful about. We take our eyes off God. It can slow down or even stop our spiritual growth. It decreases our faith in God sometimes and it can control us and keep us bound. When we're fearful, we might blame God for our troubles and sometimes we might end up turning away from him altogether. So you can see why the devil is so keen to make us fearful. So how do we avoid doubt and fear? This is a massive topic. We could probably have six months worth of sermons just on this. So I will try to summarise it for you. The cure, if that's the right word, it's not really, but the cure for doubt and fear is faith. But how do we increase our faith? Well, there are lots of different ways. God's word, his Bible, is the truth. The truth. We need to be reading it. We need to be meditating on it every day. Not just occasionally, not just when... We've got enough time, not just when we feel fear and doubt, but every single day, no matter how we're feeling, so that we can immerse ourselves in the truth of God. Find God's promises. There are literally thousands of promises in the Bible. Google God's promises. Find some. Write them down. Remind yourselves of them. 
the general ones that are in here in the Bible for all of us, all of us. And also maybe God has given you specific promises for your life. Nigel and I are having quite a challenging time with something at the moment. And when I was praying and meditating about this some months ago, I really felt God gave me a promise about how this particular situation would come to an end. It hasn't ended yet, but I am clinging to that promise. And I claim that promise regularly because I believe that God has given that that specific promise to me. Write the promises down. Stick them on post-it notes. I have in my phone, I have a, a, a note in there with promises from God. And when I particularly need to know, I will get that note out and I will declare those promises, the whole list, and I add to the bottom of it. So the list is getting longer and longer. And I just declare those promises out. It helps me to dispel doubt and fear. If you fill your heart and mind with the truth, there'll be less room for doubt and fear. And when doubts and fear fear come, because they will, you will be better equipped to resist them. Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That talks about a process. It's not a single event. It's not a one-off, well done, your mind is now renewed. It's something you have to do continuously, sometimes multiple times a day, to kind of try to get rid of the thoughts, the doubts, the fear that come into your mind by declaring promises, by declaring truth that you know about God. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Think about Jesus in the wilderness after he was baptised. The devil came to try and tempt him. And what did Jesus do? He came back at the devil with scripture. This is the truth of of the scripture. This is what my father's word says. And the devil left him. Back in our story, so that was deception. The second lesson I think we can learn, let's have a look at what happened to Joshua. First, he was deceived by the Gibeonites, but then Joshua, as I've said, the mighty man of God, then made a bad situation even worse by not checking in with God. Verse 14 tells us the Israelites sampled the Gibeonites' provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Just those few words, but did not inquire of the Lord. Other versions of the Bible use words such as did not consult, did not ask the Lord what they should do, did not seek the Lord's counsel. They didn't check in with God as to what they should be doing in this situation. And by failing to seek God in this situation, Joshua failed to see the truth. We don't know why Joshua didn't consult God. Maybe he thought that this situation was very straightforward. It was too simple. It was too small to worry God with. He could take care of it himself. We don't know why he didn't consult God. But the fact is, he didn't. And he made a bad situation worse. We can avoid the situation that Joshua found himself in by consulting God or to, to allow ourselves to be guided by God is maybe a better way of thinking about it. Again, this is another big topic, which I'll try and summarise. If any of you know about the Alpha course, it's a brilliant course. It's been running for decades, started by um, Nikki Gumbel. 
and it's a really great course and introduction to the Christian faith. And Nicky Gumbel would tell us that there are five main ways that God guides us, ways that we can consult with God. One way is by reading the Bible. I've mentioned that already, so that we know the truth, but also so that we can find answers. Joyce Meyer, who's a brilliant Bible teacher, says this, well, I think the word of God really has the answer to every question in life. It's just a matter of knowing where to find them. So an answer to every question in life. If we're not reading our Bible, we're not going to know the answers. So get into our Bibles. You can then ask yourself the question, hmm, this thing that I'm considering or this situation I'm in, does it go against what's in the Bible? And you will have your answers because you'll be better um, prepared with what the Bible says. Praying about it. How many of us use prayer as a last resort as opposed to the first thing we're doing? You've tried all the things yourself to figure out what to do and as a last resort, you ask God about it. It has been said that prayer is life's greatest time and trouble saver. If only we would take the time to get into praying constantly. Other people, God will use other people to guide us. I actually can't personally remember a time when a random stranger has come up to me with a word from God, but I have heard it happen to other people. So God will use other people in that way, but also people we know. It doesn't have to be a random stranger. And also we can talk things through with people. We can ask for their counsel. We can ask them to pray for us. We can use other people. God's a pretty practical kind of chap. And he wants us to be able to do practical kinds of things, like just chat it through with people. He also, God wants us to use our common sense. He has given us common sense and a conscience. So if the thing is a bad idea, if that's common sense tells us something's a bad idea, don't do it. Simple as that. God will also use our circumstances. So let's imagine that we've been praying for a new job, for example, and then an opportunity that's so perfect happens to come up. That's probably, possibly, God saying, here you are, here's the thing I want you to do next. That's, these are the circumstances that, through which I will guide you. So by seeking God's guidance in these ways, we can avoid deception. We can avoid getting into the situation that Joshua is in, where he made mistakes and compounded them by not listening to God. And a last lesson from our story. Joshua made a mistake. We all make mistakes. What's important is that once we realise our mistake, that we don't make it worse by carrying on with more mistakes. As the saying goes, two wrongs don't make a right, unless you're a mathematician, in which case two negatives do make a positive, but that's another story. Two wrongs don't make a right. Once Joshua realised he'd been tricked into signing the peace treaty, he didn't take revenge, he didn't break his oath, He tried to put things right without causing further harm. And so he made the Gibeonites into servants, which is actually what they wanted. 
So he didn't make the situation even worse. However, he did have to live with the consequences of his failure. When we make mistakes, and we do and we will, when we allow ourselves to be deceived, when we choose to leave God out of our lives, there are usually consequences which we must live with. There's no getting away from it. We might feel remorse for our mistakes, we might feel regret for our mistakes, but we can't change what's happened in the past. But there is great news. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we're forgiven. And we can be set free from the burden of past mistakes and actions. We don't have to allow those mistakes to burden us for the rest of our lives. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. I am personally very grateful for this because I mess up all the time. I am grateful that when I make mistakes, Jesus says to me, you are forgiven. I can't remember that mistake anymore. And I can live free from the burden of that mistake. And as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, as I read my Bible, as I pray, then what I hope is that I will make fewer mistakes. (laughs) That's my hope. That's my aim because I'll be walking in greater step with Jesus, in a great, closer relationship with him. So when we're deceived, when we make mistakes, when we have consequences that we need to live with, just keep our eyes on Jesus and know that We are forgiven and we can stand free from the burden of all of that. Amen.